0: HPPodcraft.com It was about half past three on an August afternoon when I found myself for the first time looking down upon All Hallows. And at glimpse of it, fatigue and vexation passed away. I stood at gaze, as the old phrase goes, like the two children of Israel sent in to spy out the Promised Land. How often the imagined transcends the real... Not so, all hallows. Having at last reached the end of my journey, flies, dust, heat, wind, having at last come limping out upon the green sea bluff beneath which lay its walls, I confess the actuality excelled my feeble dreams of it.
1: That is the opening paragraph of Walter Delamere's All Hollows. A story we're covering here on the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast.
2: We're here at hppodcraft.com and This is Chad Pfeiffer.
1: And I'm Chris Lackey.
2: And uh, we're doing Walter Delamere all month. It's uh Mervember.
1: What? Yep. Wait a minute, why is it it should be November? November?
2: Yeah. It alright if you say so.
1: It's obvious.
2: It's November. Yeah, November. November? Mm, I don't know, Mayor Vember seems obvious more obvious to me. <laughs> <laughs> but before we jump into that age-old conflict, uh, I-, I feel like you need to talk to me about something.
1: Boy, do I. You know, Chand, Christmas is fast approaching, and I've discovered the best way to share festivities with some amazing, blasphemous, and eldritch Christmas cards. That's right, I'm talking about Cthulhu Christmas cards.
2: Yes, Cthulhu Christmas cards. These are available on Kickstarter from ARC Digital, and they really do scream
1: scream happy holidays
2: uh these cards are gorgeous the artwork is top notch and it's just the right balance of beautiful creepy funny the artist Stuart griffin and dylan shipley have really done an amazing
1: job yeah they've done art for magic the gathering and uh, the call of cthulhu wasted land they're crazy talented but folks you gotta look at these cards because once you see them you will want them mm-hmm. i have backed it i'm not sure i want to actually send them out to people i'm considering <laughs> keeping them all Screw my friends and family.
2: Hey, come on now. Sorry, Fine Fair, they're mine. Well, I backed it too, so I'll have my own set of cards. And I don't know if I'm going to send them out either. There are six delightful designs that do a perfect job of blending holiday fun with unholy terror. Yeah. And they've already reached their first stretch goal over on Kickstarter. So now you don't only get the cards, you get a sheet of stickers of the card designs. So for mm, your lesser yeah. friends and family, <laughs> you don't really want to waste the whole card on them. Yeah. You can just send them a blank postcard with this uh, little sticker on it, and they'll really be into it. They'll love it.
1: Go to Kickstarter, look for cthulhu christmas cards get yourself some of these sweet christmas cards you will not be sorry
2: you won't we'll link out in our show notes boom i also wanted to mention the music for this episode has been provided by wesley slover from his album impressions of the miskatonic hmm. wesley is the owner and founder of sono sanctus a sound and music design company if you need some music for your podcast film midnight werewolf beach bash he is the man <laughs> go to wesleyslover.bandcamp.com and check it out again we'll link out to uh, his site in the show notes
1: so back to all hollows
2: yes yes uh who was that reader we heard at the
1: time that reader was the delightful and charming uh and amazing rachel lackey
2: yes rachel making her triumphant return
1: and if you want to hear more of rachel please check her out on her podcast called rachel watches star trek where she is sensational
2: i've heard that Heard the co-host is a little weak
1: yeah he sucks
2: I have to admit, uh, I wasn't in love with this story, No, All Hallows. It's really a mood piece more than anything, but it does have some really interesting weird touches uh, Yes, hopefully we'll like more as we discuss it. There's actually a recording of Richard E. Grant reading the story. I listened to it. Yeah, I listened to it as well, and it was kind of soothing, but unfortunately I kept drifting off (laughs) while I was listening to it. But uh, I recommend folks checking that out if you want to hear the whole story. Uh, But let's get into it.
1: Sure. Our unnamed narrator is visiting a place called All Hallows. It's a very scenic area by the sea with nothing around but this old cathedral. It's summer in August and very warm, and the narrator is hot from walking around all day to get to this place.
2: I guess he's just sightseeing. We don't really know what his larger goals are. No. He's really knocked out by seeing the church. He says, the great church almost cheated one into the belief that it was possessed of a life of its own. It lay, as I say, couched in its natural hollow, basking under the dark dome of the heavens like some half-fossilized monster that might at any moment stir and awaken out of the swoon to which the wand of the enchanter had committed it. I like the writing in this piece quite a bit. I thought that that was really cool. I mean, right away we see the church as sort of this living entity that might... Wake and destroy us all, very low crafty.
1: He complains about the walk up there on this dusty road next to a mile-long wall. He got passed by this empty dung cart uh, that kicked up all this dust into his face, so he's hot and dirty and tired. Yeah, he
2: says he covered nine flinty hills and seven miles, so that is quite a walk.
1: As for rolls around in the afternoon, he gets some rest under the shade of a tree. The cathedral is all out there by itself. The deanery and the residences of the clergy were about a mile away, according to his guidebook.
2: The deanery? Is Dean in the story? <laughs> I love Dean! <laughs> I love him! <laughs> Dean... <laughs> Oh, I love Dean.
1: So he sits looking at the cathedral, and he gives a description. It sounds pretty much like you would expect a cathedral to look, you know, old, ash-gray, pointy bits. (laughs) Right.
2: It says, From my vantage place on the hill that dominates it, I continued for a while to watch All Hallows. To spy upon it, and no less intently than a sentry who, not quite trusting his own eyes, has seen a dubious shape approaching him in the dusk. It may sound absurd, but I felt that at any moment I too might surprise All Hallows in the act of revealing what in very truth it looked like, and was when no human witness was there to share its solitude. Again, I really like this writing, and it's the first kind of scariish part in the story here because there are these gigantic statues at the base of the cathedral's tower, six of them, mm-hmm. images of angels and saints, and he keeps compulsively counting them, one, two, three, four, five, six, right? Okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, because he says he could have sworn when he first arrived there were seven, when he first glimpsed the place. So there's some kind of monstrous statue perhaps wandering around out here.
1: Could be. Or he just miscounted the or he just miscounted them statues. In. As he sits under the tree on the hill, looking at the cathedral, he notices all the little marks in the weathering and some repairs that have been made in the past. You know, just kind of remarking on the personality of the place. Mm-hmm. And under the tree in the shade, he falls asleep and he starts to dream a bit, but then he awakens and he thinks, oh my gosh, how long I've been sleeping. He looks at his watch. Eight minutes.
2: Eight minutes, which is pretty quick to have a full dream like he had. Yeah. What folly to have been frittering time away within sight of my goal at an hour when no doubt the cathedral would soon be closed to visitors and abandoned for the night to its own secret ruminations.
1: He thinks he better get down there before it closes. So he scurries down, but it's closed already. And he looks at the carvings in the stone works and he's very impressed with it. And he also notices how close the west entrance of the place is to the beach. Mm -hmm. It's very close. That's, that's what he notices. Uh, he finds a small door on the side and it's open. So he goes in. He's just taken back by the, the beauty of the place.
2: There's some kind of curious leering face hanging on the wall by the entrance he's chosen with its forked tongue out.
1: Some churches have, you know, gargoyles and, and creepy monster demonic creatures to kind of supposedly scare off evil spirits. So maybe that's right. what that's implying is it's it's that type of thing i think so he feels tired and he sits down and again he dozes off not unlike myself uh you know anytime (laughs) you sit down you just kind of want to go to sleep then he wakes quickly and he just for a minute forgets where he is i got
2: it doesn't say a lot about the story that the narrator is already dozed off twice
1: (laughs) even the guy telling the story cannot stay awake (laughs) But he does see this old man standing there, and he's dressed as a verger, which is a, a caretaker of the church. So, it's not just mm-hmm. a groundskeeper. It's somebody that has got a, a position within the church of importance. Right. You know, he doesn't just take care of the grounds. He also makes sure all the rituals and things are enacted the proper ways and so on and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. The old man doesn't seem to notice the narrator. He's like kind of leaning forward and he's got his you know his ear out i'm picturing his hand is behind his ear like he's listening to something but the narrator he can't hear anything
2: yeah it's something that's not uncommon in these weird stories we cover where somebody seems to be listening even though there's no sound but the narrator thinks maybe a bird flew in and that's actually what woke me up and so now this old guy's listening for it. Mm -hmm. maybe
1: the narrator just kind of sits there for a long time watching this guy listen and the narrator's like going, well, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to scare him. So he just kind of makes some noise. He gets up, you know, kind of loudly. And the old man stops listening and then he turns to him. The narrator apologizes and says, I, I'm sorry, I, I came in. I'm glad you're here and you found me because you might have locked up and I would have been stuck in here all night.
2: Well, then The old man says something odd. Services are not as frequent as they were, but visitors are rare too. In winter in particular, you notice the gloom. As you say, sir, not that I ever spend the night here, though I am usually last to leave. There's the risk of fire to be thought of, and... I think I should have detected your presence here, sir. One becomes accustomed after many years. So so there was that little pause there after the fire yeah. fire comment. There's something else at night that uh, is risky.
1: The old guy is friendly. Uh, he says the place actually closes at four. So, you know, he was closing up now. That's what he was he was doing. The old man goes on to say that they lost their dean, Dean Pumphrey. I love Dean. <laughs> <laughs> at the church last November. The papers were all buzzing about it.
2: Yeah, this old man really doesn't like the press. He says, they ask you questions you wouldn't believe possible in a civilized country. Not that they care what becomes of us. Not one iota, sir. We talk of them masked up inquisitors in olden times, but there's many a human being in our own would enjoy seeing a fellow creature on the rack if you could get the opportunity. The yeah. heartless age, sir. <laughs> he thinks that's what journalists are after to put people up on the rack.
1: <laughs> so the... So the narrator asks if Dean Pumphrey is Dr. Pumphrey, the author of the book, The Church and the Folk. And the old man says, oh, yes, that's him. And he says that uh, good old Dean Pomphrey was a saint. But his illness that he's suffering now is more like oblivion. He leads the narrator around the church to show him about uh, the old man speaks in very hushed tones for some reason.
2: Yes, the whole time, everything, this conversation they're having, it's all very secretive as if something is listening in.
1: Yeah, but they're the only people in the whole cathedral. Exactly. So the old man says that he's been the dean's verger for 12 years. And the dean was a humble and kind man, but then (sighs) something happened to him out of nowhere. Uh, And he explains that there was this church procession, a bunch of guys, canons, choristers, and the dean and himself. They were all moving from one room into another room within the cathedral. Mm -hmm. And then they just lost the dean. He was just in the middle of the procession. He just vanished. He was gone.
2: It's a big surprise because he was right behind the verger and he knew that the dean had left the vestry with them, but boom, just gone, like completely vanished into thin air.
1: And for days they couldn't find him and they uh, believed that he was abducted.
2: It says, I hurried back to the vestry thinking the poor gentleman must have been taken suddenly ill and yet, sir, I was not surprised to find the vestry vacant and him not there. He had been absconded, abducted, sir. Oh, that was so odd.
0: the old man closed his eyes and with trembling lids added he was found sir late that night up there in what they call the trophy room sitting in a corner there weeping a child not a word of what had persuaded him to go or misled him there not a word of sorrow or sadness thank god he didn't know us sir didn't know me just simple harmless memory all gone Simple, sir.
1: Yeah, you know, Chad, I, you you said it's strange that he got abducted, but who wouldn't want to abduct Dean? <laughs>
0: That's true.
1: <laughs> Everybody loves Dean.
2: Everybody loves Dean. Come into my arms, Dean. I love him.
1: So the uh, narrator, he wants to know if uh, Dean had any prior ailments, to which the old man says, uh, there's a better place to talk. We shouldn't really talk here. Let's, let's go someplace else. So uh, he leads him up a spiral staircase and down a hall into a room where Uh, where he lights a candle. And he points the narrator to uh, a basin to wash his face and drink some water. After finishing up, the narrator finds the old man looking out a barred window. And the old man says that he believes that what happened to Dr. Pomfrey could have been avoided.
2: If only common caution had been observed. I don't know what he's talking about.
1: Neither do I. I don't know what he's talking about. Maybe he he will reveal it. Or maybe he won't. Perhaps. Uh, They have experts coming from London who keep secrets about what's going on
2: yeah and i didn't understand at first i thought he was talking about doctors who would be examining the dean and trying to figure out what's going on but it seems like these are experts actually who are coming to check out all hallows right yes yeah. Like examine so. the cathedral and it's because there's some odd things going on and they don't want to talk about it but they also don't want to believe that something supernatural is afoot the old man says what's the answer why simply that they don't want to believe what runs counter to their hopes and wishes and credibilities and comforts in this world that's what they keep out of sight as long as decency permits.
1: The people that he's talking about are kind of church officials, maybe yeah. uh, bishops or exorcist types. I don't, know. I don't know. The old man says that he believes if the faith of a people in a place is strong, no evil will ever get in. But if it falters, even Satan himself can get into a church. And he says he knows these men are trying to save the cathedral, These these people that came down from London, he says. But they don't realize how far it's drifted.
2: Is that all that's happened then? Like one surly teenager rolled his eyes during services and the devil was able to get in and grab the dean all <laughs> Mission Impossible style? Is that The narrator asks the old man directly, what is wrong here? He wants to know. I mean, you're edging around this, but is this place spoiled? Is it haunted? Like, what's the deal? And then the old man says this. So far as my knowledge tells me, there is no sacred edifice in the world kingdom of a peace that is with all hallows, not only in mere size and age, but in what I might call sanctity and tradition that is so open. Open, I mean, sir, to attack of this peculiar and terrifying nature. Where else, may I ask, would you expect the powers of darkness to congregate in open besiegement than in this narrow valley? So I guess what he's saying to them is that the church is vulnerable and this one in particular, the powers of darkness, really try to invade pretty freely. Yeah,
1: it's kind of a, a, uh, a battlefront of the War of Heaven and Hell. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, he's a little ambiguous about a lot of stuff, this guy. But the old man, he talks about how the tide has come closer and closer, the ocean, to this place over his life. Because he's he's a really old guy. He's he's worked there for like 60 years. So Yeah, he's, 60 years in the church. I mean, he's got to be at least uh, 74 or something like that, you know, yeah. like if he started when he was 14. So he says if the narrator was trapped in this place, in the church, he could have yelled and yelled because no one would have heard him. And the narrator jokes that, you know, as a kid, I always wanted to spend the night in a church. To which the old man says, your jocular young mind would not have been prepared for any kind of a congregation. So the narrator goes, wait, so you're trying to say that this place is haunted? And the old man says, well, there are devilish agencies at work. And he's heard them and he's seen them, though he's not sure if they have any real substance. The devils are creatures made by God for vengeance. Mm.
2: In that recording by Richard D. Grant, actually, Walter Delamere's grandson talks a little at the top about how the author sang in the church choir and liked to explore and climb around in some famous cathedrals. I think he must have gotten creeped out one day (laughs) climbing around the cathedral and decided to write this. And I get it because churches are spooky, especially if you're there by yourself.
1: Sure. So anyway, another aspect of this place is the fact that it isn't decaying, but it's repairing itself.
2: Yeah, that part's really cool. And that might be the coolest part of the story. Yeah. That this building is slowly repairing itself. The old man says, Decay, stress, strain, settling, disillusion. I have heard those words bandied from lip to lip like a game at cup and ball. They fill me with nausea. Why? I am speaking not of disillusion, sir, but of repairs, restorations, not decay, strengthening, not a corroding loss and awful progress. There are spots where massive blocks a yard or more square have been pushed into place by sheer force. It's crazy. The building is actually moving these massive blocks across the yard.
1: It's very strange. It's very weird. I haven't I don't think I've come across that in a story before. I like it. Of course, nobody believes what the old man is saying, but they do see the evidence of this and they know that no one has done any repairs on this place. So they don't really have any explanation. Since he's been there so long, he's seen things. He just knows that people are too busy focused on just getting by, getting through their days, getting through yeah. all, all the things they have to do to, to notice these types of things and to give it much thought. And I mean, I understand that, you know, like modern life is hectic and there's a lot of things that need to be done. And you're always worried about work and your family and friends and whatever else is going on. Some weird thing happens. You're just like, uh, whatever. And you just kind of push it to the side and go back to all the things that you're doing. But this guy, he's noticed. He's paid attention.
2: Just the other day, I was thinking, you know what? I never take the time to notice when buildings are repairing themselves. anymore. Anyway. <laughs> So Harry. So
1: the old man says to the narrator, I I want you to tell me if there's something strange here, if I'm going crazy, basically. He talks of how children have this sense of wonder and paradise, but as they grow, that wonder and hope fades. And he hopes that what happened to Dr. Pumphrey took him back to that place somehow, that kind of that place of paradise and, and wonder.
2: Because he said he, he sort of became simple like a child again. But the old man is asking the stranger to confirm whether he's crazy or not, right? Like, yeah. You feel this too, don't you?
1: The old man says that if they stay and look around, it might actually put the narrator in some kind of physical danger, Mm -hmm. because at night things go on in the cathedral. Now the narrator doubts the sanity of the old man, but there's something odd about all of this, especially all Hollows itself.
2: Yeah, the old man seems credible. He says, yet surely at even the faintest contact with the insane, a sentinel in the mind sends up flares and warnings. The very landscape changes. There's a sense of insecurity. And I know what he means. You can kind of, when you're talking to somebody crazy, they might not be saying crazy stuff yet, but sometimes you just know. Yeah, that they're off, but he's not getting that from this guy, and so he thinks I don't. Yeah, I don't know if he's crazy.
1: But the narrator decides, you know what? He's traveled all day. He's got nothing better to do, and also he's kind of hoping that he's that this guy might put him up. So, uh, right. the narrator agrees to help the old man. The old man takes the candle that's in the room that they're talking, and he tells him to grab his robe as they walk, as not to lose each other. They walk on, and when they get to this one area, the old man blows out the candle, and he tells the narrator to take off his shoes so they don't make any noise. So the narrator's like, okay, I guess yeah. I guess so, sure. In for Penny. <laughs> so he takes off his shoes and he ties them around his neck, you know, like ties the laces, laces together and then yeah. kind of w- wears them. The old man guides him through the pitch black.
2: And the narrator is starting to get scared. As I stooped down to loose my shoelaces, I heard my heart thumping merrily away. It had been listening to our conversation, apparently. So I'd be more <laughs> scared that I was going to get mugged or touched or something, you know, all yeah. alone here with this old man. <laughs> Take your shoes
1: off. Yeah, this seems like a, yeah some creep things going on. It's like, okay, it's going to get all dark.
2: Don't tell anybody.
1: Take your shoes off. Some strange things are going to happen, but, you know, it's just <laughs> ghosts. It's just
2: ghosts, remember.
1: Don't that. worry about it. They get to the point where the narrator feels cool air on his face. And the old man tells him to stop. He says, dead still here. There's a drop of some 60 or 70 feet, a few paces on. I think they went up to a part where it's sort of... Outside, it's really confusing to me, the the way that it's written, and I don't quite understand it, but they're definitely outside.
2: Right, because there's this uh, scaffolding and stuff, right?
1: Yeah, and there's this uh, stony precipice that they're out standing on, and they could see boarded up windows of the church from where they're at and scaffolding, poles sticking out of the walls. And the narrator can hear the sound, uh, now this is kind of the first weird thing that happens, the sound of an immense insect droning. And then it quickly stops.
2: It's like maybe there's some kind of energy within the church that's churning or something like that.
1: Yeah. So he and the old man are holding hands at this point for, mm-hmm. for safety, for safety. Uh, and he points over at the scaffolding and says, the scaffolding over there has been in position a good many months now. It was put up when the last gentleman came down from London to inspect the fabric. And there it's been left ever since so again these guys are doing their investigations they get freaked out they run away they don't even bother taking their stuff down so they stand out there for a few minutes the narrator says it feels like hours but then he actually starts to feel a vibration he says it's like a millstone grinding and the old man squeezes his hand tighter and says did you see that now of course he didn't see anything you know he felt that but he looked and then he thought, well, oh, maybe that tarp over there moved or something. Maybe that's what he's talking about. I don't know. But the old man pulls him back into the church.
2: So what did you do on your vacation? Oh, you know, I went to go see a church, held hands with an old man. Normal stuff, <laughs> you know. Some light handholding.
1: The narrator asks if he walks alone in the church. And yes. the old man says, yeah, he, I do, but never at night. Then he asks the old man if he's ever encountered... Anything.
2: And he beats around the bush. He says, oh, "Maybe they don't think me of enough importance to molest the last rat, as they say." But the narrator keeps asking, "Have you seen anything?"
1: And finally, he says, "Yes, there was something. Uh, he heard it, but he didn't look at it. He said it was uh, there was a sound like clanging metal." He goes, "What?" Well, but you didn't look at it. He's like, "No, he didn't. He didn't want to look at it. But it moved quickly past him, so fast." That there was a draft and that it was gone. And then he heard some kind of gibberish sound. But that was it. The old man says that the creatures of the other world take no pleasure coming into our world. It's painful for them.
2: But the old man, when this incident happened, he was able to escape and hide. Just He thinks just in time, otherwise they might have grabbed him up.
1: Again, asks the narrator if he hears anything, so they both listen. So the narrator says he doesn't actually hear anything, but he tells the old man that he does believe him, that there is something here, he just can't quite yeah. put his finger on it.
2: He can feel it.
1: The old man asks the narrator if he will go to the roof with him, and that's the last place that they're going to go.
2: Just take my
1: hand. <laughs> They go upstairs to the unfinished tower of the cathedral with its imposing statues, and it looks as though there has been some damage, maybe like old burn marks and such. The night is still, and they could see the last glimmers of light from the setting sun over the sea. I love this passage here.
0: The mere sense of that abysm of space, its waste powdered with the stars of the Milky Way, the mere presence of the stony Leviathan on whose back we two humans now stood, dwarfed into insignificance beside these gesturing images of stone, were enough of themselves to excite the imagination, and, whether matter-of-fact or pure delusion, this old verge's insinuations that the cathedral was now menaced by some inconceivable danger and assault had set my nerves on edge. My feet were numb as the lead they stood upon, while the tips of my fingers tingled as if a powerful electric discharge were coursing through my body. So the
1: narrator feels tense and charged as they look out, but then they just move on. They walk around to the outside of the roof, past the statues, but nothing happens. Uh, the old man says it's quiet. These things don't do much when it's a quiet night.
2: They seem to leave us at peace on nights of quiet.
1: The narrator realizes that he is very tired and starving, but he doesn't really want to go back into the church because they're still on the roof. And he asks the old man if there's an inn nearby. You know, he's finally, he's feeling around to see if he can get a place to stay. And he goes, oh, no, no, but I'll put you up. And he's like, yes.
2: I thanked him, but still hesitated to follow, for at that moment, I was trying to discover what peculiar effect of dusk and darkness a moment before had deceived me into the belief that some small animal, a dog, a spaniel, I should have guessed, had suddenly and surreptitiously taken cover behind the stone buttress nearby. That apparently had been a mere illusion. So He has that, you know, when your mind is playing tricks on you. Is there something right around that corner there? He thinks he saw shit.
1: As I take my children to school, there's this uh, kind of a little footpath and it's got a stone wall. One of the stones has been painted white and in my periphery, it looks like a cat. (laughs) Every time I walk by it, I see a cat and when I look Uh at it directly, it's that stone. For some reason, my brain fills in a cat. It doesn't even, when you look at it, I got to take a picture of it and then post it so that you guys can see what I'm talking about. Because it doesn't really at all look like a cat. But somehow my subconscious when I'm walking by it and I see it out of the corner of my eye, it looks like a cat.
2: Have you noticed any Medusas lurking around there?
1: <laughs> yeah, but what would that have to do with anything? Well, I'm just saying, you
2: know, if you got Medusas about, then maybe that is a cat.
1: Nah, I don't no. think so. <laughs> no, I don't think they're connected. So the old man points out some stonework uh, that had an engraving of a two headed crocodile looking almost new. And higher up, there's an eagle perched on an angel's wrist. And he says, Aye, sir. And so with one or two of the rest of them, there are other wills than the Almighty's. So
2: is he saying that these were spontaneously carved, these statues, by a force other than holy?
1: I guess so, because they're kind of weird. Like, why is a two-headed crocodile on a church? Yeah. It's kind of bizarre. So the narrator, just like me, is totally confused by what this guy's (laughs) implying. (laughs) Right. And he goes... I can't for the life of me understand what you're saying. One doesn't repair in order to destroy. And this is what the old guy says back, he says, and why not? Are there not two kinds of change in this world, a building up and a breaking down? Why sir, isn't that true, even of the human mind and heart? We here are on the outskirts, I grant. But where would you expect the enemy to show himself unless in the outer defenses? It may be being restored for a worse destruction. The church begins to vibrate and rumble and the old man says, okay, now it's time to go. We've stayed too long. They leave all hollows, fine, no problem. Nothing strange about it from the outside. The walk is moody, but there's nothing big, nothing happens. They get to his house, the old man tells the narrator that his daughter lives with him and she's a widow fairly recently. He says that he leaves his troubles at the door you know, trying to lift his his daughter's spirits. Mm-hmm. And he says that the man should do the same, you know, leave your troubles at the door, just be happy when you come in. And then he says, and yet, well, sir, I wonder at times if, if a personal sacrifice is an incumbent on them that have their object most at heart. I'd go out myself very willingly, sir, I can assure you, if there was any certainty in my mind that I could serve the cause, it would be little to me if... But then he makes no attempt to finish the sentence. What's he talking about? I have no idea.
2: Well, he's saying that he would give up his life if it would maybe keep the church from becoming haunted?
1: I guess. Or becoming possessed by demons? or
2: Yeah, something like that. I think they just, he's talking about something like that. And then the story concludes with these uh, paragraphs.
0: On my way to bed that night, the old man led me in on tiptoe to show me his grandson. His daughter watched me intently as I stooped over the child's cot with that bird-like solicitude which all mothers show in the presence of a stranger. Her small son was of that fairness which almost suggests the unreal. He had flung back his bedclothes, as if innocence in this world needed no covering or defence, and lay at ease, the dews of sleep on lip, cheek and forehead. He was breathing so quietly that not the least movement of shoulder or narrow breast was perceptible. A lovely thing, I muttered, staring at him. Where is he now, I wonder? His mother lifted her face and smiled at me with a drowsy, ecstatic happiness, then sighed. And from out of the distance, there came the first prolonged whisper of a wind from over the sea. It was eleven by my watch. The storm after the long heat of the day seemed to be drifting inland, but all hallows, apparently, had forgotten to wind its clock.
1: That's the end of the story. And that,
2: that's the end. I mean, there's been this uh, thread, there was this thread throughout the story of childlike innocence, I think, as being in opposition to the forces of darkness. Yeah. So maybe that's why we end with a glimpse of this sleeping child?
1: Uh, maybe? It's <laughs> one of the... This story, for me, is one of these where it's so weird, the threat doesn't feel tangible to me, I guess, in some way.
2: Yeah, I certainly didn't feel much fear. I mean, I think you're supposed to when the narrator gets a little creeped out. But yeah, this is a mood piece, and this is the kind of stuff that Lovecraft really liked he know, did uh, just setting atmosphere and in uh, supernatural horror and literature he writes deserving of distinguished notice as a forceful craftsman to whom an unseen mystic world is ever a close and vital reality is the poet walter Mare, whose haunting verse and exquisite prose alike bear consistent traces of a strange vision reaching deeply into thinned spheres of beauty and terrible and forbidden dimensions of being all hallows a glimpse of demonic forces besieging a lonely medieval church and miraculously restoring the rotting masonry Nellomere does not make fear the whole or even the dominant element of most of his tales, being apparently more interested in the subtleties of character involved.
1: Mm-hmm. Hmm.
2: Well, I didn't feel a lot of subtleties of character in this one. but No, me neither. I thought it was a good Lovecraft's description is basically what the story is. It's yeah. a glimpse, just a glimpse, of demonic forces besieging a lonely medieval church. Yeah. But I, and building it back, restoring it, which I think is kind of a creepy, extra creepy thing. I liked yeah, that that's, part a uh, lot.
1: It's kind of, that's an interesting idea. I
2: liked the abduction of, of Dean, and I liked it when, uh, <laughs> when we found out the building was repairing itself. I thought those were really cool details.
1: Yeah. But so it wasn't a
2: total, I mean, I didn't hate this story. It's just, uh, I felt a little dumb. Like maybe uh, I was missing uh, something.
1: Yeah. I, uh, no, I, I did not like this story. I, I, like you were saying, I was falling asleep. I, I couldn't, <laughs> I read paragraphs over and over again. I'm like, I don't, care what's going on. I listened to the audio <laughs> and that I couldn't even pay attention, even though Richard E. Grant's got a great yeah. voice, was doing really good. He was doing a cool accent for the priest as well. Kind of a
2: yeah, kind of an Irish
1: uh, yeah sort of thing going on. But um, it does nothing for me. Hopefully we're gonna get something more akin to Seton's aunt which is uh, what I I really enjoyed.
2: Next week, we're doing a story called Out of the Deep. Yes. Also by Walter Delamere. (laughs) Wherein we are given leave to imagine what thing answered the summons of a dying wastrel on a dark, lonely house when he pulled a long-feared bell cord in the attic chamber of his dread-haunted boyhood. Man, Lovecraft loves those hyphenated... (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: I sure did. But it
2: sounds pretty cool. Somebody's going to call, pull a cord and not like what they get, I imagine.
1: I want to thank uh, my wife, Rachel Lackey, for uh, reading for us. She did a great job, as always. Check her out on Watch's Star Trek. Also, I want to say, folks, the holidays are coming up. Get your booties to Kickstarter. Find the Cthulhu Christmas cards. Just look at them. That's all you got to do. Look at them, and you will you will want to be a part of it.
2: And I also want to thank Wesley Slover for providing today's music. He's gonna uh, We're going to use his music all month, actually. So oh. go check him out at wesleyslover.bandcamp.com. Uh, it's good stuff, and uh, that's all we've got. So I'm Chad Pfeiffer. I'm Chris
1: Lackey, and you've been listening to November on the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast.
2: It, it's November uh, at hppodcraft.com.
0: hppodcraft.com.